Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's the 1st of June and it's Wednesday. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what we're watching today. U.S. cities are combating extreme heat. Plus, Canada proposes new gun legislation in the wake of American mass shootings. But first, today's one big thing, how the war in Ukraine is causing global hunger. Russian forces have taken almost full control of Severodonetsk, a key city in Ukraine's Donbas region. The Kremlin has captured nearly all of this eastern part of the country, including the southern coastline, which effectively blocks Ukraine's major ports along the Black Sea. Before the invasion began, Ukraine exported about 5 to 6 million tons of grain a month. Just in April, that number was 1 million tons. The sharp decline in grain exports has caused bread prices to soar, particularly in some of the world's most vulnerable countries. Axios Markets reporter Emily Pack has been reporting on what this surge could mean for global food prices. Hi, Emily. Hello. Emily, I think the important first question here is how much of the world relies on Ukrainian wheat exports? 26 countries on the planet get 50% or more of their food from Ukraine or Russia. The two countries combined, they're exporting about more than 25% of the world's wheat. Um, So these are critical suppliers of wheat, especially to Africa um, and the Middle East. And what about us? Does America rely on European, Russian, Ukrainian wheat? No. Food prices are going up in the United States, but we're not dependent on that supply from Ukraine and Russia. People will be affected, especially those at the lower end of the income scale, those dependent on SNAP benefits. And so that is having impact here and will continue. It's just that it's not as dire. India is another major wheat exporter. India is actually the ninth largest in the world. How has India responded to this shortage? So shortages beget shortages. Shortages beget what's called export bans and protectionism. You see the price of something as critical as wheat going up, and you're worried about securing enough for the people who live in your country, as India is. And so they have banned wheat exports to the rest of the world, putting even more price pressure on bread and wheat for everybody else. And so what are we looking like globally? Are we facing a global hunger crisis because of these shortages? Yes. You speak to experts, you know, at the UN World Food Program. They've been sounding the alarms for a while on this. Hunger crisis is a definite concern. Certainly shortages are a concern. And all the instability and unrest that comes along with that is a big concern as well. If you look back on in history, the price of bread going up often leads to political unrest. Let's just say going back to Arab Spring, to the French Revolution in the 18th century, to the Russian Revolution. This is a serious, serious business. 
Vladimir Putin is using food as a weapon in this war, and it is working. You hear a lot about the Western sanctions against Russia, and yes, they are working, but this is Putin's retaliation. This is what he's doing, and it's probably going to cause a lot of people to go hungry, and who knows what else political unrest could come from it. Axios is Emily Peck. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. In a moment, we're back with how cities are trying to fight the urban heat island effect. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. It was 94 degrees yesterday here in D.C., the hottest day of the year so far. A sweltering heat wave has made its way across the country over the past week, a reminder of the drastic effects of human-caused climate change that just keep getting worse. Now, cities are looking for new ways to keep their residents cool. Here to explain, on the first day of meteorological summer, is Axios chief correspondent Jennifer Kingston. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Nyla. So, Jennifer, technically it was 94 yesterday, but when I was driving in my car, I saw, especially when you're on the highway and around concrete, my car temperature said it was 98 degrees outside. That's because of the urban heat island effect, which has buildings and dark streets and all the things that uh, crowd into cities, trapping the hot air and making it feel even hotter. Climate change is hitting cities twice as hard as other areas and slamming public officials in the face with the problem. Jennifer, can you remind us what the stakes are here in terms of deaths and how cities are trying to prevent this? As bad as the heat is for everyone in the city uh, when a heat wave hits, it's particularly dire for low-income people who are more likely to lack air conditioning, to have jobs that require them to be outside, to live in areas with uh, undesirable facilities like industrial plants and so forth. And it's something that forward-thinking cities are trying to tackle methodically. So far, three U.S. cities, uh, Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Miami, Miami-Dade County have appointed chief heat officers whose job it is to uh, come up with ways to cool people down during the summer. That includes high-tech things like applying advanced sealants to streets uh, to cool them down and low-tech things like misting people in the streets, having cooling centers where people can come out inside. One interesting experiment in Phoenix had a particular brand of, of sealant painted on the streets to change the color to gray from black, and that succeeded in a 10 to 12 degree temperature drop on those streets that were painted. So that's one thing that cities are starting to look at, but not quite fast enough. Jennifer Kingston is an Axios correspondent, and you can find her in the What's Next newsletter. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, Nyla. Funerals have begun for the 21 people who were murdered last week in the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And while the U.S. Congress continues to debate action on guns, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced new gun legislation on Monday. We need only look south of the border to know that if we do not take action firmly and rapidly, it gets worse and worse and more difficult to counter. That's why as of this moment, or as of the passage of this legislation, it will be illegal to buy, sell, import, or transfer handguns in this country. 
The proposed Canadian laws are expected to pass and would also force people to turn in handguns and military-style rifles through a buyback program. Many countries have responded to mass shootings with broad legislation, including Australia, which enforced a mandatory gun buyback program after a 1996 massacre. It's only seen one mass shooting in the 26 years since. And the UK banned semi-automatic weapons after a gunman used one to kill 16 people in 1987. The UK also banned handguns after a 1996 school shooting. The U.S. has had more mass shootings than almost any other country. The New York Times reports that when adjusted for population, Yemen is the only country with more. All right, we know we've been covering some heavy news topics, so let's end with a moment of hope. Axios Latino's Marina Franco reports that monarch butterflies are seeing a resurgence in Mexico. The eastern monarch has declined more than 70 percent over the last three decades because of factors like climate change, pesticide use and deforestation. But a new study says the area occupied by eastern monarchs in the Mexican forests they flock to grew 35 percent from 2020 to 2021. For more on this glimmer of good news, you can find Marina's story in our show notes. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.